HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Danone North America, the world's largest B Corp, committed to doing all kinds of better for people and the planet. Learn more at DanoneAwayFromHome.com. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you a sensational episode where each story hones in on one of the four senses that accompanies taste. Many of the smells that we uh, encounter in everyday life actually exist out there in the cosmos. Food carries all these culturally specific meanings. The fact that, you know, when you see an apple, it's not just an apple, right? I was mostly interested in thinking about what knobs ASMR was pulling on, maybe, or how we could explain it from a psychological or emotional or evolutionary standpoint. Tune in to Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. How are you? Hey, man. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm not... You know, still living in the in the, <laughs> the time of love and, and, and COVID, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we're not – we should mention we are not uh, on the road as Damon is. Uh, he's out there having a – you know, tra- seeing some sights, seeing the country, and uh, we wish him well, but he couldn't join us today. But we are still in New York City where we have been for quite some time time <laughs> uh yeah uh pretty motionless frankly um you know i went to i think i mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago that i hadn't been more than five miles from my apartment since november but i was incorrect i completely forgot that damon and i together went to mexico in either late january or early february but that's such a distant memory that i completely wiped it out I know. It feels like four years ago, right? I was talking about something that happened in February of this year. And it's like, I don't know. I, I, I have this feeling that maybe this is all human beings or maybe this is just me. But the way my brain processes time is very like event centric. Like it's not so much like, oh, you know, this was uh, three weeks ago. It's like that was after I did this, but before I did this other thing. So it must have been in June or whatever, you know? And sure. Milestones, markers. Exactly. Yeah. And March 14th is just such a gaping chasm in the record of this year. And probably honestly, 
the rest of our lives that it's so weird and foreign to think about stuff that happened before that as still being in the calendar year that we're in, you know? No, man, I a hundred percent agree. This, this has been a, um, a roller coaster that has no, that, that strangely has no Hills. I, I don't know. We're like, we're like those people that got stuck upside down in the loop to loop of a roller coaster. That's what yeah. this is like. Yeah. It's not exciting. It's just, we're trapped, uh, but we're at least all together. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't see any good good upsides to this situation. And 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 sadly, I don't know about you, but you know, every every sign that's out there predicts that it's it's gonna it's gonna get worse. Uh, you know, um, and I really do feel like the American public, anyway, has just worked around it. We've just decided we're over the pandemic, so the pandemic's over, even though it's not. Uh, still, people, you know. Uh, contracting and perishing from the disease on a daily basis, yet we are kind of moving towards normalcy. I, I don't know, man. I don't know what to expect. Like every everything I read says that the second wave is going to be worse. Um, this is based on past information of how pandemics work. Second wave is always worse. Um, you know, ours is going to cause other problems based on the economy, based on uh, housing, people being evicted because they haven't paid their rents. Businesses are going down left and right. You know, I'm not saying anything anyone else hasn't already seen or read themselves because we're all doom scrolling every day uh, whenever we have time. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot it's mentally a lot. It is man. And it's, you know, I was talking with um, uh, a friend of the show, Robert Simonson briefly last week, we were talking about how we're taking a lot of long walks because we're going to miss it when it's 20 degrees outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's uh, yeah. That kind of hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Yeah. However, uh, since, since we don't yeah. have Damon Ray of Sunshine Bolty here, I have some good news from this well, week that I'd like to share with everybody. I finally, after seven months or four years or however long we've been stuck in this roller coaster, I like this stuck upside down the loop to loop analogy, by the way. I'm going to keep using this. But for however long we've been here, I've finally got on the baking train this week because oh. – I was making orjat one day, uh, and I have this weird, almost pathological thing against throwing away food. Like, that's why I have garnished drinks with, like, carrot stalks, just because I'm like, but that's, that's you know, like, that's, that's edible or at least useful stuff. Like, I don't want to just put that in the trash because that's waste. And after I'd made the orjat... Uh, I had, you know, my syrup, but I also had all of this delicious toasted sugared. I threw some garam masala on there too. So they were like spiced almonds. I was like, I can't throw these away. And I was thinking about what to do. And fortunately it was bread week on the great British baking show and they were making soda <laughs> bread. And I had an idea. I was like, you know what? I cannot remember the last time I baked something, but I'm going to take these almonds I'm going to throw them in this soda bread recipe that I saw one of the folks using, and I'm going to see what I can do. And I took it a step further. I got some dried apricots and some dried raisins. I soaked them in rum, and I was like, I'm going to put these in there and make like a Mai Tai soda bread. But then, of course, at the end of the day, <laughs> now you got leftover apricot raisin rum. So I was like, well... This, this drunk snake is going to eat itself. I took that and made Mai Tais that I drank while I was making the bread. Souther, I cannot 
recommend unequivocally many things in my life that I enjoy. Most of the stuff that I like, I have to put a lot of like, do not attempt at home warning labels on. I cannot recommend this enough. Make <laughs> Mai Tai soda bread and then drink your soda bread Mai Tais. You will have an awesome night. Bonus points if you watch Lord of the Rings while you did it like I did. It was a great, Jesus, great man. evening. You're a pioneer in the sustainability. <laughs> you're a pioneer in the sustainability realm, right? Like you're really, uh, you're really going full circle with it all. That's and that was the most incredible. satisfying part is I didn't have to throw anything away at the end of it. It was all wound up being used, useful stuff. Uh, it's it was it was just so it was just so nice. I think. Listen, I know I know we pat ourselves on the back. Uh, uh, a lot for for doing those sorts of things, but you know that sounds to me like what exactly would have been done, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. You you you'd use every little bit of everything you had. We're 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 just so lucky that convenience is is all over us these days that we don't have to think about things in that way. Oh yeah, like, totally. And I mean, that's where most of the stuff that we talk about in the show and have devoted our careers to came from. It wasn't like you know people were like, hey. I bet if we put this beer through this still, it'll get us hammered. They were like, no, this beer's we have too much beer and it's going to go bad. If I put it through this still, it'll keep ostensibly forever, especially back when people only lived like 40 or 50 years. Like it would definitely keep forever for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of keeping man. forever, yeah, speaking of keeping forever, <laughs> we have no segue here. <laughs> why don't you why don't you why don't you bring our guest into the into the room? We'll 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 get get this show off the ground. I would love to. Um, so we'll, we'll, I, not, we'll not we'll we'll no longer waste any airtime. Exactly. There we go. Yeah. There we go. I knew we'd find a way to bring it around eventually. Um, there we go. So I'm super happy to have this guest in the studio today. Uh, I first encountered them when I was uh, I got a little you know news pop up. And the headline said, bartender Greg Benson wants to change the way India thinks about whiskey. And I thought to myself, I do. And I clicked on it. And it turns out <laughs> that I personally don't. However, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dewar's ambassador to India, bartender Greg Benson. How are you, Greg? Cheers. Uh, hello, Greg Benson. I am, <laughs> I am very well. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's always a pleasure to meet another one of us. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I always thought that one was enough. One one was maybe too many, but uh, <laughs> I think two is the pinnacle. Listen, you know, if uh, if you're both here in New York or both uh, in India, uh, I think there'd be an issue. But because you're you know you're spreading it out, you're you're getting it all over. Well, yeah, except, multiple time zones. Yeah, <laughs> except for those, you know. Uh, three, no, two years that I lived in Glasgow, which is where you're from, right? And uh, we also discovered this. We also both used to work for the same company over there, right? Uh, yeah, so we both worked for Brewdog. So were you in the bar there? I was, yeah. I worked at the um, yeah. the, the brew pub that's across the street from the yeah. Kelvin Grove Museum there. Uh, nice. I've spent many, many a, an afternoon there in that pub. Yes, I worked in the distillery up in Aberdeen in Scotland uh, for a time. So I used to work as a distiller uh, for Brewdog. Uh, but that was before I started my jet-setting life and uh, moved across <laughs> the world to Delhi. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about how you how did you come to to get into the whole distilling business anyway? How did the what was the the day that the 
radioactive uh, barrel of whiskey bit you and kind of put this idea into your head? Um, to be honest, I can't really remember an exact time that I realized I was going to become a distiller, but what happened was I was studying chemical engineering uh, at, in Strathclyde Uni at in Glasgow, and at the weekends there, I was working in a cocktail bar just to kind of get some money to kind of pay my bills, to go to the pub, etc., etc. And it was when I was working in that cocktail bar that I really fell in love with cocktails and rum and whiskey and how it's made. So as I was studying um, for my degree, I realized I kept kind of understanding and internalizing what I was being taught in my engineering classes based on what I knew about whiskey. So then I thought, right, this is this is brilliant. This is great. So I thought, why not become a, an engineer in the spirits industry? So I, I completed my uh, chemical engineering and then I did, I don't know if you've heard of it, prom, uh, you probably have, the MSc in Brewing and Distilling from Harriet Watt. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I completed the the Brewing and Distilling postgrad in uh, 2016-2017 and really uh, it was absolutely great. So kind of laser focused in on distillation and the kind of background on that. Really, really interesting. Now, I, I don't think your story is entirely unique, right? There's there's, there's several uh, distillers that, that started in chemical engineering and made that jump, uh, right? Do you... Oh, yeah. it's And like people ask me, they were like, okay, Greg, why did you change from kind of engineering to distilling? But really, it's, it's kind of just a space, like, specification within it because ev everything you do in uh, that you do in university is in real life making these delicious products so things like your heat transfer fluid flow distillation it's all it all gets taught so it's more having something much more delicious and I would say exciting rather than a career in say oil or pharmaceuticals. Absolutely. Cause you can't, you know, you can't uh, sit around with your friends in a, in a barrel of oil after you've built the, the rig to bring it out of the earth, you know? Yeah. And it's again, one of the reasons that drew me to it was the opportunity to again, travel around the world and speak to people from around the world because that's also another reason why I love distillation so much is because really it is a sense of place for anywhere in the world. So in Scotland, we have some of the best barley in the world, which is why whiskey is so good for us. Say America, you've got your corn, bourbon, um, sugarcane, uh, agave, nectar. So distillation really is, in my view, a kind of sense of place. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea that you can sort of, um, and it's not, it's not even like the raw ingredients too. I mean, one of the things that's so special about Scotch whiskey is the, the, 
the unique aging conditions that you get in Scotland and what those barrels go through and what they have to to <laughs> survive basically for three years in in some pretty you know some cold and at least for human beings anyway not the most hospitable conditions oh yeah i completely agree i mean if you go into a warehouse it's very very damp uh muggy i i, I don't know if that's an american word or a scottish word i don't muggy kind of clammy <laughs> it works uh, for both of us there's yeah there's kind of mold growing on the walls but something in those conditions that magic works in the barrel to then uh, work its magic to have this delicious product right it's almost like a second layer of terroir you're getting the barley from the earth and then you're getting the literally the atmosphere is reacting with the the juice as it rests in barrel you know uh, i think that you know those unique properties are what make what make scotch whiskey so um you know coveted and and obviously delicious yeah i would up, completely agree with that yeah so you grew up in scotland um and I think that, like, romanticized, even just hearing your your accent and your voice on the air, you know, I think that we uh, Americans maybe romanticize that a lot, and we think, man, this guy probably has been drinking scotch since he was an infant, and 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 I, I'm going to assume that's fact, that's true, right? Um, <laughs> so, but you already had an interest in whiskey, and you were probably drinking some whiskey before, you know, even while you were, like you said, working uh, to make money to to go to the pubs while you're at university. Um, what really sparked that? that in you to say, not only do I want to be, I get the jump from, from chemical engineering to distilling, but what made you say specifically Scotch whiskey instead of just like, I don't know, I'm just going to set up a still at home like they had on mash and I'm going to make myself some gin to drink with my friends. Oh, that's, that's, that's a, a good question. And I'd probably just say, ask you, I mean, have you tasted whiskey? It's delicious, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah um, he's, he dabbles. He dabbles. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's also a bit of kind of, as you were saying, like romanticized, but again, this kind of bit of Scottish pride. I mean, um, growing up, I mean, that is, in my opinion, whiskey is Scotland's gift to the world. So, um, Again, it is definitely that kind of romantic idea uh, as well, as well as the fact that, I mean, it's delicious. And the fact even just within one spirit, you have so much variety uh, from all the corners of Scotland, um, so much different flavours. Even distilleries that are across the road from one another uh, can have a completely different style. So there are, I think one of the things that attracted me to it at first as well was the wide range of flavor profiles as well yeah absolutely whiskey scotch whiskey is definitely a, a broad and varied category you know i put it right up there with uh, even though much larger i put it right up there with rum based on you know just how many flavors you can get from from the same process right it's the same raw ingredients but it's just a matter of how they're handled at each step of the way plus the weather plus the proximity to the sea plus the temperature like it, it's really fascinating how every every little factor changes the outcome oh yeah i absolutely completely agree with that um for example when i worked in at brewdog as a distiller we did a lot of work with different yeasts as well uh we worked a lot with say red wine yeasts uh different cask varieties mm. wine casks uh i think really every Scotch whiskey company has uh, a lot of 
experimentation behind the scenes as well. Not all of it is all released to the public, but um, I can definitely say even with Dures, we have a lot of interesting things in the pipeline, uh, which I don't think I'm allowed to mention. Sorry, maybe I shouldn't have brought that up if I'm not allowed to mention it yet. But well, I'm just you, maybe, you maybe, that, you just maybe, maybe teasing, maybe teasing that a wee bit for you. Yeah, yeah, you just mentioned that you're not allowed to mention. So that's that's you know that's a tease. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I've been to the Aberfeldy uh, Distillery and, and you know gotten to peek behind the, the curtain, as it were, and see. And I think that's true, as you mentioned, of all whiskey makers. You know, the process, especially in Scotland, takes a bit longer. So you've got plenty of time to sort of slow roll some ideas. And of course, not all ideas make it to market. Um, you know, uh, but but the notion that you have all of that stock on hand and you have all of that time, uh, how could you not be doing some experimentation behind the scenes, right? Oh yeah, completely. And the word is uh, the work. The work is difficult, but the, the rewards are great. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I I agree with you on that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, listen. This seems like a good spot to stop and take a, a message from our sponsors here at Her- Heritage Radio Network. We're going to come back, and I want to talk to you about a lot of things that uh, that 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 are going on in India. Uh, which is where you're stationed typically. I know you're not there right now due to COVID, et cetera, but um, I want to talk about India and its culture. I haven't been there. Uh, It's definitely on my list to go. And maybe talk about highballs. I love them. Uh, So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Every time your customers eat and drink, they vote for the world they want to live in. And as the world's largest B Corp, to know North America helps people vote for a better world with all kinds of better dairy, coffee, and plant-based products, sourced and produced transparently. Danone North America has the brands people know and love, like International Delight, Oikos, Silk, So Delicious Dairy Free, Horizon Organic, and Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. But Danone North America represents more than just in-demand brands and better-for-your-business products. They bring their B Corp certification to life, in ways that protect the environment and communities by utilizing 100% renewable electricity sources to produce their products at their manufacturing facilities, committing $6 million to programs that restore the soil's ability to capture and sequester carbon, helping to restore more than 7.8 billion gallons to freshwater ecosystems through their water partnerships over the past decade, and committing to 100% reusable, recyclable, and compostable packaging by 2025. Learn how you can choose better at DenoneAwayFromHome.com. And we're back. You were listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, joining us today, we have Greg Benson, the, <laughs> the, the Scottish one. Uh, and uh, off air a little bit, we were talking about highballs and how huge fans all three of us are about them especially you am i getting that right greg oh yeah i absolutely love highballs and genuinely no joke right now i'm wearing a t-shirt that says up to my highballs (laughs) (laughs) so that's kind of one of our slogans that we do uh, at yours is highballs and really in my opinion they are one of it's the perfect drink to introduce people to whiskey um so for those that don't know, highball is just whiskey served long, typically with soda or ginger ale. And a lot of people don't realize that this drink has such a storied and interesting history. And 
it can actually date itself back to the 1890s uh, in New York, believe it or not. And oh. yep, and it was Tommy Dewar, one of the sons of our founders, an absolute man about town. Uh, I've got some <laughs> great stories which I can mention later on. But he was in New York with his friend and he ordered a whiskey served long. And he argues that that was the first highball. And one thing with Tommy Dewar is he never did anything half-hearted. He always went fully, fully into it. Lots of involved in media, kind of over the top. And he started going around all these newspapers telling people about how great this highball drink was. And they actually trademarked it uh, in the early 1900s as well. And it's really such a great drink. And also another thing is, in India, you have, like, it can get hot. Like, really, really hot. Yeah, it gets hot. It gets I mean, I'm from, again, I'm, I'm from Scotland where, let's just say, it's not very warm. And it is, yeah, it's. I, hang for, let me let me just search Google and do the and do the um, the conversion because I can't work in Fahrenheit. But see, it it gets up to about one hundred and fifteen sometimes. Wow. Yeah. And, this is, and, and I can I can attest to what happens in Glasgow on a day when it's like nice when it's like 75 it's like Bonnaroo without any bands yeah, it's insane yeah, yeah we, we call it we call it taps off so <laughs> taps off is Scottish for tops off so really when it's again when it gets over that temperature in Scotland grown men just take their top off in public and yeah. it's called taps off and you can tell because they get very very pink but, <laughs> yeah yeah, but as so let's. Uh, I want to talk about the highball, the construction though, because I yeah. think the American uh, listener um, really we we botch the shit out of highballs, gin, <laughs> gin tonics. We we kind of fuck them up because we think I, I think we think in terms of volume and and ABV too much. Right. Um, how what is your preferred spec on a highball? Just those two ingredients. What's what's your ratio? Well. I would say even not even just going ratio, the thing that for me um, to take your highball to next level is just so much ice, just the more ice. Obviously, with bartenders, they are very good with that. But people at home, just if you think you can fit more ice into the glass, just squeeze a bit more in. Trust me, it'll keep your drink colder and longer. But I typically go kind of maybe somewhere between two to one to three to one. So two ounces of spirit and say three or four ounces of liquid. Right. So don't, don't dilute it too much. I, no. Yeah. But see, even that you're saying don't dilute it too much. And I think to the American public, that's a lot. I think, uh, you know, we are, we think, well, I want to have it be, you know, mostly spirit. And, and my experience of traveling outside of America is, when it's mostly seltzer is when it's really winning, you know? So I, I'm definitely two to one seltzer to, to spirit in my eyeballs. And yes, agree on the cold. I, uh, I keep whiskey in my freezer 
just for making highballs. You know, I have one of those stupid soda stream machines here at the house. Uh, it's been kind of my savior all throughout COVID, not being able to get out. And you don't need anything else. You've got some ice in your freezer. You've got some whiskey in your freezer. You've got seltzer, uh, unlimited supply with this dumb machine. Um, and, and then, you know, I don't need garnish. I don't need juice. I don't need syrups. Um, but yeah, colder, the better. And I think uh, at least two to one on seltzer for me. Um, yeah. makes it refreshing and easy to drink and yeah yeah well i'm but i would i would have to politely disagree with yeah, you know, the garnish the, the garnish for me just takes everything um next level and one that we do a lot um for soda water i would say orange twist works really really well yeah especially with say the jewers white label or the 12 uh, if you're going to go for ginger ale a lime wheel and a bit of mint i think just raises everything up it just makes the top notes of the whiskey that bit more brighter and it just kind of cuts through the ginger a bit more so uh i think the garnish for me is a great way to play about especially in india as well because the amount of local ingredients that you have to play about with is amazing uh one thing that works really, really well is fresh coconut water. Oh, yeah. And, mm. and you can get coconuts just on the street. Uh, you can have uh, just a guy will chop a coconut open for you for, say, half a dollar, maybe a dollar at most. And, yeah, that sounds so counterintuitive. Um, but yeah. when I, uh, I've only been there once, but when I was in Puerto Rico, this is the drink of locals coconut water and specifically doers. At every little corner shop, you can get coconut water and, and scotch. Yeah, and it, it's a fantastic. Like it seems so uh, mismatched, but it's such a fantastic pairing. Yeah, and I completely agree. And our whiskey and the Jewers range, one of our main flavors that you can find through all of the expressions is honey, and in the younger expressions, say the White Label and the Twelve, it's quite kind of fresh honey. But then as you move up the range, it's kind of more. St- stewed and cooked and more dessert and the 15 especially just with that honey and citrus and with the coconut water is an absolute winner i i i I, it's great yeah yeah we were drinking them on the beach and really like it was a shocking thing to me because i was like well we're here in puerto rico let's let's hit up all the rum and all the locals i was with were like no drink this um (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know not to knock anything but like it, it seemed odd to be you know, I think sometimes when you travel and when you meet the locals, they don't drink the thing that is local. You you came all the way there to, to drink the thing, but they're like, no, we have that all the time. This is what we drink. Um, really cool. Let's talk. So that's a cultural issue. And, yeah, and I was also going to say on, on oh, as well sure. as that, um, one, again, I, on the culture point, the one difference that I found in India as opposed to, say, Europe would be the amount of food that's eaten at the same time as drinking. So say in Scotland, you have your meal, maybe have a glass of wine or uh, a gin and tonic, and it's only once you've finished the meal would you then start to drink. Whereas in India, say with whiskeys like highballs, there's always kind of snacks and dishes on the table. The majority of them spicy as well. So having that kind of diluted long drink works really well to cut out the spice so yeah i'm sure yeah 
that 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 adds up. That makes total sense. Um, so lots of highballs getting consumed in India. What uh, what about cocktail culture? Is that is that a, a burgeoning or big thing in India? Um, I would say it's kind of um, it's quite small at the moment. However, the bars that are doing it are doing it very very well. So. Uh, you have one of my favourite bars, Sidecar in New Delhi. They have a great menu. Um, Bombay Canteen in Mumbai. They are re- putting on the menu some really kind of innovative uh, drinks with fresh ingredients. Um, so there is definitely an appetite uh, for cocktail culture in India and it is growing uh, bit by bit. And I think the bars are very collaborative there, and for example, the amount of the amount of WhatsApp groups that they have for each city has its own WhatsApp group, and then you have WhatsApp groups that are uh, India wide of bartenders kind of sharing ideas, menus, um, a lot about say the lockdown as well, um, a lot of collaboration there as well, um, but. It's it's, yeah, it's, on, it's on the rise. It's I think, on. Yeah. I think that's kind of universal with bartenders. We're we're a very connected and sort of you know insular group. Um, in that we we you know I, I, you know I'm not sure how Greg got in touch with you, but you know we we feel it's pretty easy to just pick up the phone and reach out to anyone and say, hey, you want to come be on the show? And uh, you know, no one says no. So I think oh, that's, yeah, it was that's, it was literally just like, hey, you have a cool name. Do you want to come on my podcast? And and you were yeah. like, sure. And now here we are. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the better parts of our industry. You know, I always say I don't think I don't think as an accountant I could read in accounting magazine and see that someone's doing something interesting and just be like, I'm going to ring them up and ask them how they're doing that. Whereas if I see something in imbibe or at Tales of the Cocktail, I'll I'll just call that guy up or reach out to her Facebook page and say, Hey, what how, can we talk about this? And overwhelmingly, they say yes. Um, I think that's part and parcel. I want to talk a little bit more though. Cocktail culture in India, um, even in the world, I would say, it's a little bit uh, of a hurdle for people to get over to use scotch whiskey in cocktails. Is that Do you find that to be the same in, in India as it is here in America, for sure? Um, yes and no. Um, really, for India, the way that whiskey is consumed in India would typically be whiskey and water. So you don't have the kind of purists that you would have in, say, Scotland or America saying, okay, scotch whiskey or single malts can never be mixed with anything because by default, whiskey is being served with water. So that kind of hurdle has already been um, stepped over. But there, see, amongst, say, the general public there is, Definitely, there's a lot of respect and kind of reverence for Scotch whiskey. And it's only kind of been in the last few years that it's become acceptable to put into a cocktail. And kind of leading the charge is kind of the small group of high-level cocktail bars that we have in India are really pushing that and... um, it's it's slowly it's slowly changing, uh, definitely slowly changing, um, but also in um, India as well. Scotch whiskey is seen as a status symbol as well 
because there is, let's say, a lot of import duties and tax as well, it is not as affordable as it would be in, say, America. That's just part of the the Indian alcohol market. I think so, that's part of India's whole program, right? Any any imported product, it's a, I think a hundred percent tariff. Uh, so you know it's difficult to bring products yeah. in. So India just makes their own. If the, yeah. you know, I don't know of a good example to use here, but if if, if India. If Coca-Cola were too expensive, they'd just create Indian Coca-Cola, right? They would just... Perfect. Again, perfect one. And I actually think Indian Coca-Cola is better. There's a drink called Thumbs Up, for example, which is everywhere uh, in India. So it's a blue label with a red thumb. It's kind of... Uh, yes, again, it's like Indian Pepsi. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. But it's Scott, not Coke. It's the other one. Yeah. Right, and but, these are these are laws that they uh, adapted to because they have such a dense population and they have so much industry. They're like, well, why would we import something if we could make it ourselves, right? Yeah, exactly. So I can, I can see yeah. that that certainly must apply also to spirits, and I was actually going to kind of ask yeah. that already. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting to hear. Yeah. So then yeah. the, are there, quote-unquote, locally made Indian scotches that people drink? So, yeah, so, yeah, there's the a whole category of it, uh, actually. It's called IMFL, so Indian Made Foreign Liquor. Um, hmm. so Dewar's, we don't make any of, none of our products are IMFL, but the, what you would do is some of the brands are Scotch whiskey, uh, but they are blended with, I'm, I'm choosing my words very carefully here, uh, <laughs> but it's Scotch whiskey, which is then blended with local Indian produced whiskey. But then the in- local Indian produced whiskey, it's all molasses based. So it's not barley based, it's, it's molasses based. So if you have Scotch, so you have Scotch whiskey being blended with Indian cane spirit, are then diluted down and sold. But that's not sold as Scotch. They're not allowed to use the word Scotch on the, the label, uh, but it's they say like scotch with local spirit so imfl so they're all... purchasing sorry they're purchasing barrels let's say of scotch made in scotland bringing yes. it down blending it with a cane spirit uh watering it to proof and then now they have to call it scotch whiskey with indian spirit uh yeah i can't remember the exact term of the the wording on the labels crazy but, that's the uh, term yeah, perfect perfect <laughs> um, no but these 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 are worth multiple multiple millions billions of dollars worth um so you've got say black dog blenders pride um rocks rock something so again they're doing this they're doing this in yeah. an effort to uh increase uh, jobs and taxes and, and all the, like on paper, it all sounds pretty smart, but you simply cannot reproduce Scottish whiskey without all the things we talked about in the first half of the show, the, the terroir, the, the, the grains, the temperature, the salt in the air, etc. Well, I'm, I, I guess what I'm, str- I was struggling to find a, a articulate way to ask, are they good? And I couldn't get there. So. Thanks, Greg. That's I, where I was going next. I, 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 again, it's it's the golden rule of being a brand ambassador. You you can only talk about your own one, and you can never mention for the other brands. So I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> 
Uh, fair enough. I wouldn't want to put you on the spot anyway. Yeah, but yeah. it does make me curious. And I certainly, you know, I'm, I've never uh, seen an IMFL product before um, in real life. Uh, so, you know, it makes me curious. I would like to get a hold of one and just have a side by side. And again, I, I, I think that we've come so far in our knowledge of things like uh, chemical engineering and distilling and filtering. And, you know, I'm on record in, in a lot of places as saying, I don't think we make anything that's bad anymore. We make things that you may not like, but it's probably quality made. Just is it what I would expect if I cracked open a bottle of scotch whiskey? That would probably be my my biggest you know, reservation, but I would have to say, well, I have to categorize this and even link my tasting notes to the notion that this is its own thing. Yeah. Um, But also to be fair, there are over the past, say 10 years or so, there have been a couple of Indian single malts launching, which are not trying to pretend they're scotch and they're saying, okay, we're made in India with barley. uh, We're bottled in India we we are an Indian product and some of them are really to look out for. For example, Paul John and Amrit, two distilleries in Goa. They're I've had the Amrit, like, yeah. Yeah, they're really interesting spirits. Yeah, I had the I actually did an event with the Amrit in um at Tales of the Cocktail, I think maybe five years ago. Very early. I think it was their first crack at being there. Um and it was good stuff. Uh and and interesting, you know, again there's there's always a story and stories are what, you know, draw people's, uh, you know, imaginative interest. And then the product has to be good to keep their interest. But, uh, you know, I remember doing a gig with them. Well, I, 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 I do want to ask if we're not talking about blending doers in a bottle and then selling that bottle. I am, I am curious what the general sort of culture of uh, mixing it in the mixing glasses in India, because, you know, as we've, talked about it's this very um uh it, it has it has a real cachet and at, just like single malt whiskeys do over here like you know if you say oh i'm working on this cocktail with i don't know some 15 year single malt people are gonna look at you like you just slap the pope in the face and yet you know we're an insular bunch as bartenders we're also kind of an iconoclastic bunch so is that almost is the is the naughtiness of it is the fact that like oh it's too good to mix fueling a little bit of kind of an underground like desire for people to mix it in cocktails simply because you're air quotes not supposed to Uh, yes uh, i i think i do think you're onto something there um, also as well as that again as I said drinking scotch is very much a status symbol so people want to be seen to be drinking scotch whiskey and in India it's scotch is the pinnacle it doesn't have the same kind of differentiation that you would have say in Europe and America of blends versus malts it's just seen as scotch and one of the reasons that people are uh, more open to the idea of scotch in cocktails is because because it's a status symbol, but they might not have had uh, a lot of whiskey before or spirits before. So having it in a cocktail is a perfect way for them to be seen to be drinking scotch and a high value individual but in a more approachable form and something really as like a kind of stepping stone uh, because 
people want to be seen to be drinking it, but they might not have the palate to be drinking neat spirits. And it's the perfect opportunity for that. And as well as that, if you're with your friends and you're eating lots of spiced food as well, a lot of these drinks go really, really well. So whenever I'm making a menu, say for a guest shift or a, a takeover, etc., I always think, how does it work with food? So I never would really be making drinks when there's not food going out at exactly the same time. And that, again, that um, symbiosis is not really something that you get as much in Europe. Hearing you say that, I have I had a thought that I have with some frequency, which is, God, the Puritans ruined this fucking country. Like, because <laughs> that's the way that I like to eat and drink, you know? It's like I enjoy having that mixture of how does this beer or wine or cocktail or spirit mix with this whatever I've I'm happened to be eating, whatever cuisine, wherever it's from. And <clears throat> like you were saying earlier, this separation of first you have eating time and then you have drinking time has never made sense to me because if you do them at the same time, both times go longer and are more fun. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Completely agree. And again, and I just really like the Indian food. It's it's my favorite of uh, of all the cuisines worldwide so always in the back of my mind I'm thinking what works really well what techniques what spices what local ingredients can we then use and it works it results in some great combinations I have to say yeah I'm, I'm sure, sure yeah. yeah I'm sure you're you're in India where you know the cradle of all spices of the world right um and so, you know, in Scotch, I think uh, has enough variability uh, from from style to style to be able to match up to, you know, almost any of those spices. Um, listen, we're running out of time, uh, but it's been really great having you on here. Uh, what I'm looking through my notes here. You are Instagram at Whiskey Greg. And that's Whiskey. Sorry, Whiskey dot Greg. That's Whiskey without an E. Yeah, right? spelled correctly. Yes. Whiskey <laughs> correctly. <laughs> Yeah, the right way. Uh, whiskey without an E dot Greg, G-R-E-G. Um, uh, uh, tell us uh, how people, other than Instagram, is there any way anyone, anyone can get in touch with you or reach out to doers if they just want to have some questions I answered? Think just fi- fire, it, fire it over. Slide into my DMs if you've got any <laughs> questions, and then it will be, yeah. That, that's probably my, my main one there. Yeah. Um, Instagram, I always answer if anyone's got any questions or anything just fire in yeah and then i had one just sort of more uh not necessarily on topic question india is humongous and you're the ambassador for all of india Uh, yes so i so you live you live on an airplane or a train how how does that Uh, work (laughs) well before before the lockdown yes um i i mean greta thunberg hates me but um, <laughs> I work closely with another guy, Miles. So there's, there's two of us for India because it's such a large company. So Miles, he's from Philadelphia. He lives in Mumbai. I live, live in Delhi. And yeah, a lot of travel, a, lo- a lot of flights uh, flying over. Sometimes, sometimes at very short notice, there's been times when I've been in the office and they've said, okay, Greg, 
tomorrow morning we need you to be in Mumbai for 11 a.m. And I'm like, all right, cool. No worries. So yeah, I want but that's but that's that's one of the reasons why I took the job. So again, I'm mid twenties, late twenties. I thought, you know what, see the world whilst I can. Uh it's it's a great it's a great opportunity and it's such an interesting and diverse country as well. Um though it's such a landscape. So one of the states next to mine is called Rajasthan. That's the desert state. Uh, so it's all just, I mean, it's a lot of deserts in there. But then if you go uh, across to Megalia, which is near Bangladesh, that is, they call it like the Scotland of the East. So you have valleys and rainforests and beautiful rivers. And then you have some really interesting cities, say like Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore. So really it is a country that has so much to see and it's you're never bored yeah i don't imagine so uh pretty fascinating stuff man really glad to have you on thanks for joining us from halfway around the world um and uh you know uh i i, I want to come and visit so you know whenever lockdown is finally definitely, over maybe, maybe we'll pack up the podcast equipment and, and travel I'll, uh, yeah yeah i'll uh, we can get a rickshaw somewhere yeah <laughs> so. perfect Sounds good. Rickshaws, uh, coconuts, and scotch. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it for this week's episode of the Speakeasy. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, on behalf of myself, Greg Benson, and Greg Benson. Uh, <laughs> cheers, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>